boom, he says. <laughs> All right, well, we're uh, going to be in Matthew chapter 13 again today. We've been studying the parables of Jesus over the last few weeks. We took a break for one week uh, to uh, talk a little bit about Christmas, but... Um, uh, Jesus is presenting in chapter 13 a series of parables. And remember the word parable, it just means to throw alongside. So it's when you make a point and then you say, well, here's another way to look at it, right? In a way that we can understand. And so we're going to continue that today. As we get into it, though, I want to ask you something. Uh, what do you consider uh, to be of, of great value in your life? Okay, it could be, you know, if depending on uh, who you are and where you're at in life, that list of things that you consider to be of value probably includes things like, like your children, uh, family, God, maybe it's financial security, your health or your reputation, whatever it is. We all have things that we consider to be of value in our lives. And if we consider something to be of great value, then will go to great expense to obtain it, right? It, 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 it's been rightly said that our checkbook reveals what we really value, right? If you go back and look at what you've spent your money on, it tells you a lot about who you are and what you think is important. So if you were to go through my financial records, you would see that I consider Rally's French fries to be of great value <laughs> and worth the expense. But you can look at my figure and also see that. There are other signs of it. Uh, so, you know, if we consider something to be of great value, then it's, it's worth expense. It's, we also reveal our values by uh, how we invest our time, right? You can say something's important, but if you never spend any time on it, is it really? Right? Uh, it w also, we can reveal our values by uh, the things that we put our energy into. You know, if, if, if it's not worth getting up off the couch for, is it, is it really worth something? So we're going to talk a little bit about what it is we value, what it is that Jesus values, and, and how to reconcile those. But the flow so far, just to kind of get us back in the mindset of, of how this conversation has been going, is uh, the first parable was the parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus is he's speaking in kind of an agricultural community, so he's trying to use things that they understand, so he talks about farming stuff. Uh, and so he talks about um, different types of hearts uh, represented by the, you know, the different types of soil. And the sower, he goes out and, and he, ca he sows seed and some of it uh, falls on rocky soil and some of it falls on good soil. And, um, and, you know, and so we learned a little bit about uh, different types of faith, different types of uh, believers and how all of that works. Then last week, we talked about uh, wheat and tares, uh, and so that was, you know, telling us that basically there were, um, it, you can't really tell the difference between uh, the two early on, and, and it's not up to us to determine whether someone's real or a poser. It's up to us to determine, to make sure that we're not a poser, basically. Uh, we also talked about the mustard seed and how the kingdom, God's kingdom was going to grow so large and that it would attract the, the birds of the air to come and, and, and sit in it, you know, that it basically it would attract um, evil. You know, evil is attracted to power and influence and wealth. And, and throughout the 
centuries, we've seen times where the church did some things in the name of God that weren't great. Uh, and, and I think those, you know, we've, we've seen that play out and, and be true. And he talked about leaven, a woman pr- mixing a little bit of yeast into the flour and it spread through everything and, and how, you know, just a little bit of corruption can spread uh, through the whole thing. And so we have to be careful about our, our doctrine, about what we believe to be true because it affects everything. And so now, now we're going to get to three more parables. And the first two are really similar. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we'll take look at a couple views on those. But before we do all that, let's pray and ask God to help us understand this. So Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity today to study your word. Lord, we know that when you spoke these words to the, this original audience, it probably made more sense than it, it does to, uh, uh, to us today. But we know that there were people there that didn't quite get everything. But Lord, we know that your message is intended to be simple, for simple people to understand it. So Lord, we just pray that whatever circumstances have been going on in our lives, um, anything that makes it difficult to concentrate, anything that uh, distracts us from you, Lord, that you would just set all of that aside for us today. Open the eyes of our hearts that we could see the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, and the truth of who we can be in you. We pray that you bless the message and the hearers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Right? So if something is truly valuable to us, we'll go to great lengths to obtain it. I remember once I was in a a music store uh, and this old guy came in and he he brought a, a guitar case in with him and and uh, he said you know I've I've got this guitar I'd like to trade in for a new one and so we're like sure and we open it up and it's a late 1950s Fender and some of you you're like great a car part no this was a guitar that was <laughs> particularly hard to find and it, you know it's one of those holy grail instruments that you open it and light comes out and you know and and he says and he's looking at the new version of it you know which is like a few hundred dollars and and he says so how much off of the new one would you give me for trading in this old one and there's two of us in there and the guy that runs the store and and he's like oh what i'm sure we can do something and the two of us are like really you know, and he luckily wasn't completely corrupt. He goes, <laughs> okay, I can't actually do that uh, because this guitar was worth probably $10,000 and he was going to trade it in on a $300 guitar. And so I, I learned a lot about that guy bec- by the lengths that he was unwilling to go to that day. You know, he wasn't, I don't know, if there would have been no one around, I think he probably would have done the deal. But, uh, but if something is of great value, we would go to great lengths to obtain it, right? 
If you knew there was millions of dollars in this field, you would sell everything you have to buy the field. And so, you know, if a relationship with Jesus is actually important to us, we should probably pursue it with all our energy, right? We should go to great lengths to have that relationship. It's one of the weird things about a relationship with God is you never lose by pursuing it. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And right before that, he's been talking about worrying and, you know, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do that? And he says, look, if you seek me first, I'll take care of the rest. Elsewhere, in chapter 10, verse 39, he says, Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Right? That's how we really find our life is when we're willing to surrender it to him. And so a relationship with Jesus, it, it's the only relationship where if you put it above everything else, everything else actually benefits. It's weird. Right? So if, say you have a particular hobby, if you put that above your spouse, you either won't have that hobby long or you won't have that spouse long. Right? Because your relationship suffers because of it. If you put your, you know, your kids above your, your husband, then your husband suffers, and, and he's a big kid anyway and gets all jealous. And then if you put him above your kids, then the kids feel left out. And, you know, everything struggles. But when you put God first, everyone actually benefits. It's the weirdest thing. It's, and it's worth the cost. Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this a little bit. And if you don't know his story, he, he became... Uh, probably the most well-known of the disciples. He, he planted a bunch of churches, but he started out his career as, like, super Jew, you know. Uh, he was the most Jewish of the Jews, however you want to put it that. He, uh, you know, he was, anything that you thought a good Jew was, he was that, right? He was a Pharisee. He was trained under the right people and had the right lineage and all of that, and and so in his culture, he, he had life by the tail, and then he, something changed. He ended up trusting Jesus and realizing that, hey, this was not the right path. There's this other path. And he says this, he says, uh, in verse 7, he says, Everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. And so that sounds bad so far, but he says, and I consider them as dung, as doo-doo, right? It's manure, so that I may gain Christ. He says, all those things that I feel like I may have lost by following Jesus, they were of no value. He says, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. He says, this is the thing that I've found to be of most value in my life. The author of uh, the book of Hebrews talks about this a little bit. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, he says, To let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Right, the thing that trips us up. And you... You know what yours is, right? There's a thing that just 
every time I turn around, I trip over the same thing. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And here's the trick, right? It's keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus saw that to purchase you, to purchase eternal life for you was going to be very costly. And he suffered loss to the point of death, but considered it worth it. And so we keep our eyes on him to remind ourselves of what is valuable. But what is it that, you know, what is it that ensnares you or distracts you? What is it that trips you up when, when you're trying to do that? Maybe you need to, maybe you need to cut back on some commitments so you have more time, right? For a lot of us, we don't have a lot of time for something else to become important in our life. Or you may be in an environment that kind of drags you down. You know, coworkers that uh, draw you away from God rather than closer. If you have a spouse like that, sorry. You're going to have to deal with it. But you may be in an environment that needs to change, or maybe you're just surrounded by the wrong people, the wrong influences, the wrong friends. That maybe your spending's out of control. Right? That may not seem connected, but uh, usually that's a sign that I'm trying to find contentment somehow. I'm trying to buy contentment. I buy things to feel better for a little while. Whatever it is, the author of Hebrews says, drop it, whatever it is that's tripping you up, and then keep your eyes on Jesus. And so we're told over and over that if we, if we do that, if we seek after God, amazingly, God actually wants to be known. Right? He doesn't want to remain a mystery to you. And the book of Acts, that same guy, Paul, right? This is fairly early in his ministry. He's in this city where they have altars to all these different gods, and they have an altar to an unknown god, you know, in case they missed one. And basically he, he says, oh, I know who this god is. And so an audience forms to hear what he has to say. And he talks about this unknown god to them. And one of the things that he says about this god, he says, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. And he's determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Right? In other words, he put every person in their place and time on purpose. And why did he do this in verse 27? He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him though he's not far from each one of us. And the word he uses there, it's like grope. It's the, it's the action like when you walk into a dark room you're unfamiliar with and you're just kind of feeling, trying to find a light switch. Paul says, this God put you in the perfect place, in the perfect time, where if you just even groped at all for him, you would find him. So for, for those of you that have dysfunctional families and you wonder, why was I born in this family? 
By the way, that's everybody. Everybody's family is dysfunctional. We just got through the holidays. You know it's true. But if you've ever wondered about that, God put you right where you needed to be to give you the best chance of knowing him. He wants to be known. Now, all that being said, everything I just told you is true. That is not at all what Jesus was talking about with these two parables. It's great to pursue God. It's great to view a relationship with him to be of value. That's not what he's alluding to. So we're going to go back and look at the parable again. Okay, Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Now, Jesus, he's still talking to his disciples. And he just finished explaining uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the one that we covered last week. And that's one of the, the parables I love most because Jesus actually says, here's what this parable means. And he explains it to them. So we'll go back and read verse 37. It says, this is when he's explaining the parable. He says, uh, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is what? Is the world. And then in the next breath, he goes, another way to look at it is that the kingdom is like a guy that finds treasure in this field, right, in the world. Still the same audience, say he's using the same imagery. And so Jesus is the man, and he sees a treasure, buries it in the field, in the world, and then he goes and sells everything he has to buy it. See, a relationship with Jesus can't be bought. It's worth what, any sacrifice that you may make, but you can't sacrifice enough to get eternal life. Only one sacrifice could actually pay for that. And that was the one that he made for us. In Philippians 2, verse 6, this is another letter that Paul wrote. Paul understood this thing better than most. He was talking about who Jesus is and, and that he is, he was fully God. And then he came to earth. And he says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, Jesus is God. And he, he felt like, you know, it's, I'm not going to utilize all my power. I'm not going to use that to my advantage. Verse 7, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So in other words, at any moment, Jesus could have just you know, the first guy that whipped him, he could have snapped him out of existence. He could have done whatever he wanted at any point, but he emptied himself, giving up rights that he actually had for us. Further, to further drive the point home, Jesus gives another example. Right? Matthew 13, verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So this time he doesn't just stumble upon a treasure, right? He's, he's a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
And pearls are interesting. They're the only precious stone that's produced by a living organism. It's interesting. So it begins, a pearl begins as this a foreign substance. It gets in, inside of a, is it a clam? Oyster? It's a clam, right? Yeah. Oysters are the ones you eat with hot sauce. You don't. Okay. Either way, they're both gross. Uh, but it, it, could, it could be any one of, of many things, but generally it's like a little grain of sand or something. It's an irritant, right, that gets inside. And the oyster continually... <laughs> now it's oyster. What, I'm, I'm staying with that, I guess. It continually surrounds the, uh, the irritant with this crystalline substance. It's called uh, nacre. But it's just like a slimy stuff. But it slowly and gradually hardens. And so out of suffering and, and struggle, this object of beauty is produced. Until that old dirty grain of sand is no longer recognizable. As a matter of fact, in a really good pearl, you cut it in half and you can't even find what originally started it. You can't find that grain of sand. So that's you, right? When you're in Christ. His blood continually covers us. And through every trial and through every injury, every step forward and stumble back, he's making us into something precious. He's making beauty out of brokenness. That's what he does. James chapter 1 is the, James is the, the brother of Jesus. He's seen all kinds of stuff. He says this. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, and this word testing is interesting, it's, it's like a ripping, tearing. It's like when you, when you exercise, you, you tear your muscle fibers. Because that's what causes them to do what? Causes them to grow, causes them to be strengthened. Knowing that the testing of your faith, sometimes it's going to tear, sometimes it's going to fail. But it's going to go back. That produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. He says, you're going to go through some trials, and it's what's going to grow you. Don't just go through it. I want you to grow through it. And when you struggle with that, you just ask me, and I'll be there for you. Now, there's one other thing I think that's really interesting about pearls. Is, did you know that human sweat can dissolve a pearl? weirdest thing it's part of what made them precious in the first place it was a sign of you know 
being in a noble position that I don't have to sweat. I live the type of life that I can wear these things on me and they'll stay precious. But you know, when we try to go through our struggles on our own, by the sweat of our own brow, that pearl doesn't grow, it shrinks. Revelation 21 describes John's vision of, of heaven. And he says this, he says that the, the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. And the main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And there's, there's more there. But think of how big a pearl would have to be. for a, it's, it's one massive single pearl makes this gate. How big would the oyster have to be that that thing came out of? Right? Or clam, or whatever it is. Did you Google it? Okay. <laughs> the shellfish. But imagine the, the suffering that had to be covered over and over to create that pearl. And those are the, that's what the gates of heaven are made from. We'll go back here, Matthew 13, verse 47. It says, again, in the kingdom of heaven, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. <clears throat> so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, this is... these. This has all been one long conversation, this whole chapter. And, and so last week we talked about this, that, you know, that as the kingdom spreads, they're gonna, it, I'm casting a wide net, uh, they're going to be genuine, and there's going to be posers in, in this thing. There's going to be good and bad, there's going to be real and fake. There's, it's all mixed together, and I will sort it out, is what Jesus says. In other words, you're going to have people in your life in your relationships, in your work, in your church, who you, you wonder, when are they going to get theirs? And he says, don't worry, that I've got that covered. To quote a great, widely renowned uh, theologian, Dr. Seuss, he said, uh, one fish, two fish, Red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. Yes, some are red and some are blue and some are old and some are new. Some are sad and some are glad. Some are very, very bad. Why are they sad and glad and bad? I do not know. Go ask your dad. Right? That's what <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, look, there's going to be a lot of things about my kingdom that you won't understand, but I've got this. I, I'll, I, I'll cover this. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. Okay, Verse 51, Matthew 13, verse 51. He says, have you understood all these things? Remember, Jesus has been telling these like mysterious stories that are hard to interpret. 
Have you understood all these things? And you can tell that Jesus is talking to an audience of all men at this point because they answered and said, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We know they don't understand. And Jesus knew. Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom, right? So everyone who is used to teaching and then becomes a student, everyone who's been used to leading but is now also following, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. So a teacher who becomes a disciple, this is somebody that they've got a bunch of knowledge and then they finally take a step and put it into action. He says that it's important that you've got both. That you have old and new. Now, part of that, I, I think... You know, we need a healthy diet when it comes to our, the Word of God. You, we can't just be all New Testament. We need to understand some of the Old Testament. You can't be all Old Testament and have no grace, right? So it's important to understand both portions of the Word of God. It's all actually one. But more than that, it's, it's about making sure that your faith doesn't become just old hat. You know, that that we're always gaining fresh insights, new insights, and putting things into action. I don't know how many times I've read a, a passage, maybe a passage that I've even preached before, and I read it and see it in a whole new way. Now, the truth didn't change, but I'm in a different place in my life, and I'm still open to the fact that I do not know everything. I used to think I did, and I just couldn't remember it all at once, right? But now, I'm, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. So you have to be open to change. You have to be open to actually putting some things into practice. That, because otherwise, what we're doing, if I feel like I already know all this, I don't need to change anything, I've got this, all I'm doing is just sweating on my pearl. That's all I'm doing. Because in your faith, there's, there is no sitting still. That's why Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to walk with me. When we sit still, we're, you, as a Christian, as a believer, you are either growing closer to him or drifting away from him. That's it. You don't arrive at a point where, now I'm mature enough. I'll just stay right here. And so, everyone... no matter how long they've been walking with Jesus, is capable of making terrible choices. Especially when we've fallen into the habit of, of relying on old habits, right? And we're not actively seeking after the Lord. Hebrews, we'll go back there again, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11, <clears throat> says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it's, Difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. The author of Hebrews was frustrated because he wanted to, to get into some deeper subjects. He says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Okay, so he kind of browbeats them a little bit, but he says, look, no matter where you're at, you, you need to grow closer, right? We need to grow more. We need to put into practice more. If you want to grow in your faith, you've got to start living out what you've already learned, and then maybe also start teaching and, and pouring into other people what you've, known, what you've learned. And you'd be surprised how much you learn by teaching. It's, it's the weirdest thing. By pouring out these, these treasures that you've amassed and picked up along the way, you actually gain new ones. Matthew 13, verse 53. He says again, now When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there, and he went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas and his sisters? Aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Isn't that weird? They just, the people in his hometown, they admit, where, he's so wise. He's doing miraculous things, and they're offended by him. Because there's nothing more offensive to darkness than, than light. And I think the reason this is kind of saddled here at the end of these parables is because, look, if you're going to do the things that Jesus was talking about, you're going to take out another step and, and follow me a little bit closer. You're going to take what you've learned and actually put it into action it, will, it may be offensive to some people. So what's the old saying? Misery loves what? Company. Company, right? Misery doesn't love good examples and solutions. When you lose a bunch of weight, nobody's actually happy for you. <laughs> Second half of that verse, it says, They were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And this is interesting. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You know, Jesus can become least appreciated in the place where he is best known. That means... Uh, those of us that have been in church for a long time and studied his word a long time, oftentimes are the ones who appreciate him the least because it's old hat. Sometimes the people who least expect Jesus to do amazing, miraculous things are the people who've been following him the longest. But he says he did not perform any miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus, his power is not, it's not limited by us. But he's a gentleman. And if you want to do things by the sweat of your brow, uh, if you want to try to white-knuckle your way through your pain and your trials, whatever they may be, he will let you. But you don't have to. 
So do you value Jesus' power in your life? That's really the question. Uh, I believe he really is who he says he is. I believe he can do everything he says he can do. And I believe that uh, the biggest hindrance to that in my life is me. Uh, And so I'm going to try and I'm going to challenge you to do the same, to take another step closer to him this week. Take one thing that you know, but you haven't done, and go and do. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity today to study your word. We thank you that it's still true. It's still simple, and we are still simple people who have the same struggles. Lord, so many people today are going through struggles and trials and pain apart from you when they don't need to be. I would pray that uh, each and every one of us would would trust you more. Uh, Lord, those that don't have a relationship with you, that they would see that that great price that you spoke of, that was the price you paid for them, that as your word promises, if they will trust you for eternal life, you give it free of charge, free to us, costly for you. And for those of us that have uh, trusted you for eternal life, but we've been turning to other things for comfort, turning to other things uh, to get us through our struggles and our trials, Lord, that, that we would lay them at your feet. Lord, that you would take this trial and let it produce a, a pearl for you in our lives. We thank you that you love us more than we can ever know, more than we can love you back. We pray you come and come quickly. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. Ready? Break.